Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey, now everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast, the podcast that uh, never fails to get the Viceroy. I'm Trevor Anderson, so you have Jason Rugard, he's got a... Uh, a rundown? Wait, you're just going to tell us what the hell we're talking about. We don't need a rundown, right? I never know what the hell we're talking about. Nobody <laughs> knows what the hell we're talking about, including us. And uh, we're talking about The Phantom Menace. We're going to talk about Star Wars tonight because there aren't enough podcasts dedicated to Star Wars. We right. feel like we should throw it our is, hat in It the is mix. May the 4th. That may, some days. May the 4th be with you as well, my friend. Ago. Thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's May. It's Star Wars month, right? The whole month. It is. And... Uh, being on quarantine and having Disney Plus, which I think like fifty percent of the families in and America have, there. and I haven't seen them in in HD ever. They look really. I mean, the Phantom Menace especially was brilliantly cleaned up. I thought mm-hmm. I have only seen this on DVD throughout the years. Did you think it looked pretty good? Oh yeah, it looks really sharp. So I can't wait to see uh, see the rest of these. But yeah, as like you, I've only seen them on DVD. Um, and even the DVD cleanup for 4, 5, and 6, which I haven't seen this, these HD Disney Plus ones yet, uh, I remember looking really good and really sharp. So I can't wait to see them, what they look like on, on, DVD, or on HD. I brought something up to you the other day, and that is, as we stand recording this, we're now 21 years since the release of The Phantom Menace in May of 1999. And at that time of its release, we were 22 years away from the original Star Wars. So it's amazing mm-hmm. to think that we're that far away because from 99 to 77 seems so far away and there was very little Star Wars content leaking out. And since 99, there has been a slew of Star Wars stuff, most notably in the last uh, 10 years since Disney took over things and, and all the... I mean, Clone Wars was out there uh, after these right. sequels. But these um, these prequels... As we, as they're uh, referred to, uh, rightly so, well, are so much better than the last three, in my opinion. And I know it's not fair because you haven't yeah. seen Rise of Skywalker, but I haven't revisited these. Well, since I already the, agree with you. The last three, <laughs> I mean, I've seen and the, um, the two. So it's it's amazing because I think that visually, when, this one is about as close to Flash Gordon, the inspiration for Star Wars, as Lucas mm-hmm. ever got in the design of the ships, what the, uh, uh, the Princess Guards true. look like. Yeah, I think this, that's but why I like this one a lot. Let's set this up a little bit here. So we're watching. We're yeah. gonna watch all nine of these, right? So we're starting here, obviously, with Phantom Menace. Um, for me, uh, I have not watched these in a very, very long time, especially the prequels. Um, four, five, and six, I've seen um, way more recently than this, and obviously, I've seen. Um, uh, but it'd seven, be seven eight, and eight. Well, I haven't yeah. seen nine yet at all, so correct. This will be you will this, fun to this. watch all these through all the way through. And I, I decided because I've never seen them in episode order before, um, so I thought it'd be fun to watch them in episode order and see if that does anything to it. Um, uh, and so I'll get your opinion on that. I'll just say that I, I, I don't. It, it hurts and it helps because I feel like watching this. Um, there, you know, the whole Yoda thing, the job of the hut, everything. It feels like they've almost. Uh, if I was watching this stuff for the first time, like it, it ruins episode four, five, and six a little bit. They don't have the same clout, I don't think, with the younger generation. But and it ruins the surprise of those characters in those in those movies, doesn't it? A little bit. 
if you hadn't, it's, I'm so... Um, if you've never seen them, I mean, yes. Yeah, my, my view has been askewed, you know, to reference Kevin Smith there. Because I grew up with these, having the you know the four, five, and six. So when one, two, and three came out, it was just a different animal. And now that I have seven, eight, nine, they're even different. They each three have a different flavor and mm-hmm. texture. And as much as they've tried to make them a cohesive thing over forty something years, it's just not it's not possible. So these unto themselves are uh, let's specifically talk about this one because these prequels were so uh I, I mean massively hyped is not to say the is not even the right word right let's talk about the pre-release of this before it even came out i can't recall a film outside of maybe batman that had this much pre-release hype and buzz going into it i mean it was unfucking believable the trailer dropped in november of 1998 on meet joe black and people were buying tickets just to see the trailer on the yeah. big screen I mean, that's unfucking heard of. I mean, pre-YouTube, obviously, and things like that. But this was, was selling out screenings just to see the trailer. And that first trailer was unbelievable. It really got me excited as well. Right, until you saw the hot steaming mess that was this storytelling uh, extravaganza. Well, you know you're in trouble in the first few minutes when the plot's going to center around a trade dispute. It's like... That's not yeah. intriguing on any this movie, level. This movie, I think only because it's Star Wars, isn't much better than John Carter, you know, in all honesty. And it's it's just, it's a massive story and plot. And it's just a little over two hours long. Tell me this doesn't feel like it's three hours. I'll say this. The first 45 minutes moves fairly well, I think. But I'm lost uh, with, at that point. I feel like it's been, I don't know where the fuck I am once the pod race ends. And you realize you still have about. a fucking hour left. Yeah, that's, like, that's where I get lost at. shit. Like, what is going because, on with the structure of this movie? This is confusing as shit. Up to that point, it moves fairly well. Uh, and then it, it gets... I mean, there's so many cons against this movie. It's so easy to say how bad The Phantom Menace is. But, like, from a... Uh, in, put it in context. I think this is underrated in the first three. I choose... I actually have a sneaky affection for this movie. Because of... A couple moments in it. One is when they're underwater and they're swimming towards the Gungan City. Mm-hmm. There's a moment of wonder there with the set, the score, the visuals that I remember seeing in the theater and thinking, okay, this is Star Wars like. There's like there's wonder on the screen. Mm-hmm. And during the pod race sequence, they kind of gets to that later with the Darth Maul uh, sword fight against Obi Wan and uh, Qui Gon, but. It never really achieves that otherwise because there is a lot of dullness to this movie. And I can never explain why Hmm. it's so dull. It's not necessarily visually dull, but it is. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, nothing really pops. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know exactly why. It's George Lucas. Why? You can see it in the acting that he gets out of people, right? Uh, The stilted wooden uh, dialogue just spewing that that everyone gives. Uh, These are incredible actors in this movie and not a one of them turns in an incredible performance and it's guaranteed it's because of George Lucas. Uh, I would say that Liam Neeson probably does the best with the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, what's his face? Ewan McGregor there. I think he gets better as the series goes along with working with what he's working with. Uh, he's okay. But Natalie Portman's well, uh, initial line reading is so awful oh, in she's, that first she's scene. Bad. 
It's awful. Throughout She's obviously movie. a fantastic actress. It is so bad to watch her. What it is. Even it's, her eye lines initially yeah, are off. I agree. I mean, the acting in general is terrible, but it's a terrible across the board. So it's at least, uh, I don't think anything in this movie sticks out like a sore thumb um, as much as I remembered it. But um, I don't know. I will say I disagree uh, with your the previous comments. I think I, for me, this movie really hits and uh obviously the pod race is pretty good the underwater stuff's good i mean taking you on that voyage and setting up the world and everything and showing off it really just feels like they're showing off what uh special effects they can do throughout all that stuff and it doesn't have a point other than beyond that i mean it's really not that amazing um but when they finally get to the darth maul shit at the end Holy shit, are you kidding me when the fucking music kicks in? You didn't think that was the fucking height of this movie? And especially when they have the, when they go through the the energy field things and the doors close and the red stuff and they have to wait and stop. And But that whole, that entire sequence is fucking genius. It is. And that's, that's the best part of the movie. I didn't think it had the sense of wonder that I felt in a lot of the uh, previous Star Wars movies as a kid. Mm-hmm. But as a sequence, that is the best sequence it has the kind of energy that the movie is missing almost across the board uh and but my my problem with that that part is that it's intercut with two other things going on that are highly uninteresting oh, in no that shit. ruin ruin the flow of it yeah. at all times I mean, I can because that's with star that. wars for you it's got a cut between three different uh, you know, storylines going at once because that's what the original ones did. But that's they had interesting things going on, uh, arguably. Yeah, at, at I mean, those movies. clearly this is a movie meant for a younger audience than the uh, original trilogy, which is something that I just don't understand uh, as to why he George Lucas chose to do that. I still don't get it. Um, even though it has, because uh, you see the, the the heights of this movie where it's really good is it's with the adult theme stuff. And with the kid stuff is where I think it falls mostly flat. Um, you know, and I mean, the obvious parts would be, you know, the fucking Senate shit. All this nonsense, blah, blah. We already talked about the trade deal and all that shit, obviously. Nobody gives a crap. Sorry to say. You know, that, that, like 10 minutes should be 10 minutes of the movie and we're over that. I just, and you're not fooling anyone. We know who Palpatine is. That's the one thing I don't understand about this either. Who are you fooling? Yeah. It looks I, like the- him. You can see his face. Oh, he's got his mask on, so we can't tell by his jawline who the fuck this guy is. You can see the nose, the lips, and then he has the voice. It's that guy. However, I don't understand, to to piggyback on your point there, why these were pitched at such a young level. Because none of the subsequent Star Wars films were ever aimed... At such a young level, Except including for, part two well, and maybe three. Six. Maybe. Uh, okay, but with the only, Ewoks, only you in, could argue only that. Only in moments, yeah, but not the whole movie. This this is the first one uh, where it's really the entire movie. And to some degree, now, you remember when we talked about um, uh, Aquaman, you said similar things uh, about that and this movie. So, is it just a matter of, of trying to capture a bigger audience, making a family movie. Well, I think that 
first of all, Star Wars is for a generation that it comes out in. This is not our Star Wars movie. This is for the generation that but we're why kids would you and do younger. That? Because it's because clearly the people who are going to come see this are mostly that, are Star Wars fans, right? And Star Wars but fans... But I think the way to make this franchise live on the way it has is to get the younger people involved. I mean, I know a 15-year-old kid right now who's the new ones, who's then? The, so the new ones aren't for kids. With Star Wars. Yeah, but they're... But they're, they're world mythologies i mean there's this is such dense mythology right now yes. and there's such a, a vast volume of legacy and canon and non-canon shit out mm-hmm. there between graphic novels and novels and video games i just don't think most of the majority of it though i don't think is good which is what i find confusing about this entire star wars thing i haven't found a lot of enjoyment in a Star Wars movie in a long time and that's what bums me out when I'm Being watching said, this because this was the first time that I felt let down seeing a Star Wars movie that I could recall was seeing The Phantom Menace but sure. in comparison to the next two that are following I the definitely think that this good. one the third one is very good but the next one I mean for memory right. serves that's what I remember mm-hmm. this becoming a little bit better in hindsight because of what we had in store for us. <clears throat> Although there are moments in the second one that I remember that I remember really liking. So I'm interested in seeing now that they're seeing this one and realizing that there are long moments in between really uh, long, bad moments in between really good moments. Um, how well will episode two play now? It's I been recall so when, long. This, when this movie came out, the CD that came sure. out, the soundtrack had a, a track listing that gave away Qui-Gon Jinn's death. And people were so fucking mad because they were <laughs> scrambling for any bit of information about this film at all. I mean, I remember reading pretty much any article I could in, in magazines, Premiere Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, whatever I was out at the time, about the production and what digital cameras and, and all this kind of innovative shit that Lucas was doing at the time. Do you recall that when the DVD came out, how extensive of a packaging that was? That it basically was a film school yeah. on a disc in a lot of ways. I mean, those were the golden years. But those of DVDs. were the um, the early two thousands were were perfect for that. Yeah, I mean that went on for I would say that went along until about two thousand five when that began to fall fall out of favor. And it yeah, began to fall out of favor disc, cheap. when you started. Yeah, when they started doing the single disc and the two discs uh, sets of things. And uh, and eventually, I they must not have sold very many two disc sets. Do you recall the Pod Racer video game for yes. N sixty four? I mean, that may have been the best thing to come out of the Phantom Menace. The Pod Racing scene sequence, though, isn't it, it's a pretty good sequence to be honest. It with still you. is. It holds uh, up. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's just I don't know. There are so many sequences in this movie, and the entire movie in general, I guess, leaves you kind of asking why. Does it leave? Does it do that to you at all? Where you think like, like why? Like it's cool. It was like a cool exercise. Uh, you got your special effects up there. It's Star Wars. You know, it's spacey. There's aliens and all this stuff. But why? <laughs> and there's no answer. The biggest why for me in this first three movies is why kill off Qui Gon in the first movie. He's your most interesting character, the most charismatic person I on don't think screen, he, the most likable. I don't think that was realized. And, I don't think it, on paper it yeah. popped, but on screen it popped. And I wish that they would have figured out a way to at least include him through the second film. Kill him off at the end of the second film and you at least have something going on. But but to just have mm-hmm. the Obi-Wan, Anakin 
connection throughout the second film. And from what I recall, that relationship was was already very odd at, at the beginning of the, the second one, where I didn't didn't feel comfortable with it and where it left off. I didn't mind Phantom Menace uh, feeling like it was just a placeholder. I know there's been a lot of films that have come out and feel like there's a placeholder, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the last 10 years, for franchises coming. This was kind of the first time you knew that, oh, hey, this is you a mean set in 99 when you saw it? Yeah, I didn't mind yeah. that it was the placeholder. Well, you know, we I, didn't I, know I, about that at the time, right? But but it was such a massive thing. Do you recall that Lucasfilm had set up with theaters that this fucking movie had to run in their auditoriums for 12 weeks in their largest auditorium all fucking summer long? That's how this thing made so much money. That's why this is like one of the top grossing movies of all time at one point. It's because this thing had such a hype behind it and people were so excited to see it that it was like, how could it be? How could it fail? And it didn't fail financially or any of that kind of shit. But from a fan's perspective, if you go back and look at some of the YouTube videos, it's hilarious to see fan reaction after this fucking thing. Like people still want to believe that they liked it and like what they they didn't really comprehend what they had just seen. Because to me, this didn't feel Star Wars at all when I saw it. No, and it doesn't. When, when, it doesn't feel like, from what I remember, Qui-Gon yeah. uses his lightsaber in the beginning as like a weird welding tool. I just remember thinking, like, oh, oh I don't you're understand kidding me? The, the fucking the fast movement anymore. and shit, the, the the huge jumps and the and the like, they ran so fast, for, uh, right in the beginning of that movie too. You just think, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, the, there was a lot, a lot of what the fucks with this, but that's what the. I mean, let's not forget the whole, you know, uh, Emperor Lucas uh, introducing us to hydroxychlorians. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Mid- Met- Metachlorians. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that was thinking something, something about something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's a different king. That was, a different that was uh, <laughs> some some other thing. But yeah, the, I mean, the midichlorian stuff, you know, that's crazy, yeah, right? Should. That totally undoes um, everything that the other movies did. It sets up the, this movie almost resets uh, the entire world in a way that's weird. I I just I still don't understand why the choices were made to to make this movie and not that it's a bad movie you know i watched the whole thing i actually no, I, enjoyed I, I it i want to talk about some positives here too i don't <laughs> want to rake everybody just wraps on this yeah. thing and uh and whatnot and i want to talk about the positive and i think the strongest element of this movie another character that should have been killed off in the first installment is darth maul that is such a strong visual character that makeup design is so intriguing um, the way he's used in this movie is very mm-hmm. sparse but effective that I thought that the Darth Maul character should have been your Darth Vader for this first three. We had or, to see, again, I mean, remember, to the remember what happens in number two, and I guess we won't go too much into that until after we see it, obviously, but there are some big moments and other big characters uh, in episode two. So it's not as if uh, they miss out necessarily. Right. Well, you made the John Carter comparison to this one, and from if once again mm-hmm. we'll talk about it when we get there. But if memory serves, I recall John Carter and uh, looking a lot like Episode Two, with that uh, you know the animals not and the so, gladiators thing and all that kind of yeah. sequence. I, mean, I don't yeah, think these so. are that different, really. To be honest with you, but as you said, really the first three movies play well together. The the mid three movies play well together, and, and the last uh, three play well together i imagine i haven't seen the the third one yet but they're, they're those are at least uh under they're the same umbrella yeah so yeah. so i do think that uh comparing all three of these to 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 that um to john carter makes sense or even aquaman a lot of the problems that aquaman had i think 
I see in this movie. Um, and it's just, there's such a emphasis on world building that I don't get to know so much about the characters enough, you know, and I don't know why that just bothers me a little bit, but I do like the one character in this that really does get some exposure is Qui-Gon Jinn, you know, and um, again, though, he's the only character that you are required at the end of this movie to have any emotional uh, uh, context with, or, you know, any, any sort of a, of a connection with, and mainly because he dies. And he's the most likable person on screen and relatable in a weird way. I, I can't uh-huh. explain it other ways than that. I mean, because he's no the most Han you know Solo. about. I mean, they there, think there's about, no Han Solo character. No. Where's the everyman in this movie? It's Where is the guy? Jean. He's the he's the only saying. one, you know, because he's the only he's yeah. actually the story. He you follow him through the whole story. You don't follow really anyone else. I mean, I mean, Obi Wan gets left back on the ship through most of it, doing nothing. He's oh, you're, just absent. You're right. Yeah, you know. Um, you know, Padme is, uh, you're not supposed to know who she is really. So she, she's not really that character of the, of the queen, right? She's not queen of Amidala or whatever the fuck her name is, um, at that time when they're on Tatooine. So I don't know how you make sense of, uh, of who these characters are. Obviously Anakin suffers from just being too young of a character. So you, right. you can't, you can't do much. You just that. can't build him out too much, you know? And he's just, he just is a kid, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that, but you just can't. Um, and obviously we'll, as we'll watch these in episode two and three, as he ages changes drastically. Right. Well, and becomes more sullen and right. uh, really sulky a lot when he kind of bratty. And I thought, um, at least his kid was uh, cute and endearing and, uh, a fairly good child performance. Uh, considering how awful the the adults are around, I do feel like uh, Samuel L. Jackson should have said uh, "motherfucker" at least one time. I always thought that his presence in this was so distracting. <laughs> it I thought is. it was stunt casting in a lot of ways. It's like it talk about taking you out of the Star Wars world. You're not supposed to have recognizable stars in these things, especially right. not people that are iconic. And to have Samuel L. Jackson, and it was just kind of like a well, why not? You know mm-hmm. he. If you're not going to stunt cast the whole thing, why why do that? So, I didn't particularly care for that. Also, where do you fall on the Jar Jar Binks line? Are you for against? You know indifferent? what? I was fine with it because it fits into the kids thing. So, it's like it's all right. But the one thing that bothers me about it, um, more so than anything, is that he just is incredibly. Uh, I guess I would say he interrupts the flow too much. You know, it's, it's not so much his character that's the problem. It's just he gets in the way. Like when he gets his hand stuck in the engine, you have to go through the whole. That, like that's just it's just extra. It's just there, and he's just like get your hand out of the engine so we can move the movie along. Or you know, in the uh, Qui Gon Jinn uh, fight at the end with Darth Maul, we have to go back to uh, you know to yeah with the mace uh, and he's the like ball around he's like the li- fourth yeah. stooge like i don't like, how do you just just juxtapose whatever the word is those juxtapose. two scenes you know like how do you do that because it, it doesn't work it's not good i can't go from this darth maul fight to that nonsense yeah that was you know, my i could do one or the other yes but that's exactly yeah. so that why so i think that's why he gets such a bad rap because he he's very he interrupts but i don't think he, in general, he's not really a problem. When he first shows up, he's, you know, he speaks weird comically, I guess. But he just 
drags them to places, just shows them things. It doesn't really do anything until uh, until later on in the movie, especially when they get the Tatooine and stuff. And then he starts interjecting and getting in the way. He just became, the, that character became the focal point of the fury and disappointment of the Star Wars I think fans. it's more than that, though. I don't think they're being honest. If you're only going to blame Jar Jar Binks, then you're not being honest about that movie in general. Yeah, I would 100% it's just, agree It's, with it's a that. fine movie. It is not a good or a great movie. Um, I mean, it might be a good movie, depending on if you want to make an argument for that. But it is sure as hell ain't no great movie. I'm going to say that Jar Jar, the Jar Jar character, and I don't mean this in any sort of other charged way, just like from a character standpoint, is a lot like the Finn character in the new trilogy in the fact mm. that he didn't get a great response the first time out, and they give that character less and less to do as the trilogy goes on to where you yeah. almost forget, oh, yeah, they, they kind of build him out in the first one as maybe having a major influence on what's going to eventually happen in the third one, which doesn't come to be as far as I can recall. I think there's only like a couple more mentions or scenes of Jar Jar, uh, maybe less than five mentions and scenes of him in the next two movies which was really a, the, one of the first times you saw a filmmaker reacting from crowd and, and fandom reaction, which is so prevalent now. I mean, fucking movies it's are reshaped just, now based on it's fandom. It's too kitty for, uh, for what people wanted, you know. People, for people wanted stories. an adult movie is what they wanted. And I don't mean adult in the sense that it needs to be anything more than PG. Um, but we, we just, I, you just want that adult storyline that uh, not to be something that is uh, not so cartoonish. that's flashy or something. Yeah, something, something that entertains toddlers. Like that's not really what we're looking for when it comes to a Star Wars movie. And that kind of feels like uh, what this was. And to some extent, um, that's the the flashiness of of showing off what the special effects can do. To some degree, uh, I thought. Schumacher's two Batman movies in the mid to late '90s catch a lot of shit. And I think that the Phantom mm-hmm. Menace has a lot of the same problems. You think Jar Jar Binks needed nipples? That's no, I saying. just think that they <laughs> the toyification of it all. The let's well, think of yeah. how how we can sell all this. But shit you learned that from the before. first Star Wars movies, right? Yeah, so, that yeah. was the lesson that Lucas learned very yeah. much. So, like a lot of these things weren't because it was best for the movie. It was best because it was going to move a lot of product on the shelf. And I totally understand that. But guess what? It was going to move a lot of product anyways. So you might as well come up with a good fucking movie that was going to put it behind this. Because that summer, I recall that that summer was that the Phantom Menace was heavily overshadowed by the Matrix in a lot of ways. You know, we thought we were going to get this mind-blowing sci-fi extravagance from George Lucas. And it came from the Wachowskis a couple months earlier in April, you know, and then this came, and it almost felt like a letdown in comparison to how exhilarating then, the matrix it's was. It's also interesting. Cause if you look at the, the, what, what the matrix movies that followed fell into the same hole of world building. Yeah. And over reliance on special effects sequences and all that kind of stuff. Like it went on way too long yeah. and just kind of the, the razzle dazzle of look, just, what we can I, do because we can do I don't think you it. need that much world building in, in a movie, you know, and these, these prequels, or almost all world building until you get up to the the third movie, uh, which is really the whole point of the whole thing. So you could have just made one movie. Do you recall how brazen the Lucasfilm people were uh, when Godzilla came out? Do you remember the Godzilla advertising campaign that size does matter? That was everywhere. Do you right. recall that? 1998 Godzilla. 
And that that was supposed to have the biggest opening weekend of its time. It was going to crush box office records coming off the team that did Independence Day. There was massive hype for that. That didn't live up to the expectations <laughs> no. and tanked. And I recall that the, at Lucasfilm uh, on their website, because I would go check it periodically uh, for Star Wars. They, they were honestly one of the first ones to do like video blogs from the set. I mean, pre-Peter yeah, Jackson doing true. it for Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. So if you went there at StarWars.com and things like that, Lucasfilm, you could see little production snippets. Mm-hmm. So I went there and I'll never forget seeing a poster. This is probably late 98 that said plot does matter. Story does matter, you know. As a director, off to Godzilla, that applies yeah, to Star knew? Wars Episode One as well. Yeah, they didn't do much better, but there is a sequence. I don't know. I'd say I like God- Godzilla '98 better than Phantom Menace. Oh, I can't agree with you on that. I cannot because just because that Matthew no, Broderick performance is so bad, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I hate the casting <laughs> in that Godzilla movie. It's fucking terrible. No, performances but across the is... board on any of those aren't good. That's that's but true. All right. But there is a sequence in Phantom Menace that I always felt was a direct reference or kind of a knock uh-huh. on Godzilla. And do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's when they're escaping through the Earth's core. Right. It's Qui Gon. And then and it says there's always a bigger fish, and that thing grabs the fish, that kind mm-hmm. of Godzilla thing, bites off his head and throws it and roars. I always thought that was a weird nod to like, look, this is what we would have done with Godzilla or you know, there's always a bigger fish as in we're coming to get you. Or hmm. I don't I always felt that was a weird kind of nod to that for some reason. Could have just been my overthinking of it or uh, I don't sativa. know. I, I mean, that is, that's a weird moment in the movie. I don't know. They, they just keep twice. going. It happens like three times. They just keep doing it. They keep going through yeah. it. It's like, Jesus, what are we doing here? I do think that there is a moment in there that is somewhat for adult audiences in a kid's movie is that when, in the same sequence, when Qui-Gon sedates Jar Jar Mm -hmm. and he almost has an orgasm and then starts talking (laughs) like all like he's drunk or high or something. I think it's hilarious. I would have liked to have seen that Jar Jar over the the squeaky one we got. (laughs) Um, This would go on to be the top grossing film of the year. No surprise there. And this is 1999. And uh, it left a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths at the time. We didn't know what we were in store for next. Uh, By the time the next one comes out in 2002, the cinematic landscape has changed greatly uh, by then. I mean, you're talking blockbuster after blockbuster and Star Wars all of a sudden didn't become as important anymore. Mm. I feel like this was the last time that Star Wars was at that kind of a fevered pitch, maybe before the opening of Force Awakens. But but I sure. can't recall a time otherwise than oh, that because there was no. You're going to be sharing. Um, I mean, throughout this uh, time period, right? We lead right into Pirates of the Caribbean, um, the Marvel movies, the Marvel Spider-Man. Movies, uh, uh, God, what else? The Matrix Lord sequels. of the Rings. Yeah, everything leads right into this. So, this movie really. Uh, and this, uh, by the way, I like the comparison of the Matrix because if anything, the Matrix is the end of the '90s. And this movie is the beginning of the 2000s. Uh, and you'll see more movies like this than you will like The Matrix. Which is interesting. Agreed, yeah. yeah. And I believe this is one of the first films ever shot on digital camera or portions of it on digital cameras. I think the whole thing. Was the whole thing yeah. on? I thought, only, I thought at the time they couldn't get the whole thing there. Or maybe they still struck 35 millimeter prints. for tape. sure theaters it was on tape the second one was on tape as well yes, there was. are attack of the clones uh vhs cassettes running i don't think by 2005 they were still producing any videotapes but i could be wrong on that but the original well, i mean it was sets, shot on tape 
Uh, is that right? Well, yeah, it was so long ago. We only had tape. Shit. Fucking A. But for sure, you is can it, buy the cameras that this was shot on. Uh, still. It's unbelievable, I mean, though. They don't make them anymore. But you can still get them. Th- this movie looks better and these, today. These were, this was released in digital uh, theaters as well, you know? But just, wouldn't you agree that this movie looks better today than Star Wars looked in 99? You mean the re-release? Yeah. For sure. But yeah. this is also a re-release. So I don't know. I we I, I have to get to the HD releases of the, the first four to really be able to tell um, what pops and what's what done what. Because obviously, I mean, this is obviously not the original uh, version of this film. right? I mean, we know that they've gone back to this even and added special effects. And taken out old ones. I was ones, wondering so. that. A couple times in this, I thought I saw something that I hadn't seen before, but I thought maybe I didn't pay attention. Sure. Well, as, like the, I didn't study the, uh, these like I did the, the original Yoda was a puppet. Right. In this, it's right, not there. CGI. But um, there are a couple other, moments other here and there. I, I think, yeah. Well, I, I didn't read the entire article, but I remember when they released these on Disney+, Plus. they said there was a, they had gone back and changed a couple of other things for all these movies. I mean, the way that the spaceships look in this and the design of that are are gorgeous. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I still think that the John Williams score does so much Scores for these movies. So good. It does so much for these movies. Holy and um, that Duel of the Titans uh, sequence at the end there is just fantastic. And then the love theme that he comes up with for yeah, Attack of the Clones, I, I, I remember I being very that, good. That, uh, I mean, the track you mentioned... Uh, um, the fight at the end of this movie is one of the most played Star Wars tracks. Um, just period. Such yeah. a good uh, Star Wars thing. I mean, it, uh, granted, you have classic Star Wars, you know, uh, stuff, but that the is themes uh, and stuff. By that's far, a great one of the things that I've heard the most uh, from any Star Wars stuff. It really is just one of those uh, those tracks that makes your hair stand up. You know, when you hear it. Yeah, it's iconic in its own right. Yeah, I, it, it's within the Star Wars world, but it, it's just this new thing existing within the Star Wars world, and, and it's so me, fucking intense. Well, tell me that, that and all this, everything leading up to this, and especially as much as the original Star Wars movies were good, and I really wanted to live in that universe and everything, I really didn't want to become a Jedi until I saw Qui-Gon Jinn. Were you before? Were you like, I'm going to be a Jedi and all this stuff? I never really thought of that. I, would, I always knew Star, you know, Skywalker and all these guys were, were Jedis and all this stuff. But I never really wanted to be one until Qui-Gon Jinn. I loved the Return of the Jedi Luke Skywalker with the black glove and like uh-huh. kind of like the ninja look, the samurai, kind of like the black uh, outfit there. So I always thought that was cool. And uh, I, I, I loved the Jedi then, but when, when Qui-Gon was running around and Obi-Wan with that cool-ass ponytail, when the fuck did they get that <laughs> braided-ass ponytail? That was a new thing they added right. in this Phantom Menace, too, because before that, they didn't have that Jedi. Are I never sure? saw a Jedi I with he, one I of those. I thought he had that in the original. No, i never seen none of that shit. It was awesome. And so things like that, there were little touches in this where you thought, okay, that kind of world building or that kind of specificity on detail is great because this is what I came 100%, for. 100%, the characters, yeah. When you're talking about a viceroy and and taxation, my, I'm already fucking tuning out. I'm tuning the fuck out. It's not what I came in yeah. here for. I don't want to know about a trade dispute that led to a tariff that led to a fucking war. I know. Like, it, this is not a it, history lesson. Well, it's very Shakespearean, I guess, in that sense, uh, which I think is what attracted Lucas to the to this 
type of storytelling in general. But I agree that to find out at the end that basically this guy is trying to pull this fast one so he can become so he can take control of the Senate. This is like, what the fuck? It really? doesn't come off as Shakespearean at all because there's no tragedy in it. It just comes off as uh, like like a second rate political thing. Like nobody gives a shit. And, and, and it's a it's so it's a coup or, you know, it's like. It's, well, it's like, a, yeah, I don't fucking know. It's so underwhelming by the time you get to the end that you think I mean, it's obviously been almost episode an two hour. Is, is the payoff to this. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Is it a payoff? I don't know. <laughs> I remember <laughs> we yes, started film school. Um, I'm going to tell you this, my friends. This is May 4th. This is going to blow your fucking mind. We started film school 18 years ago today. That's that's fact. I, you can look that up. I'm good with dates. That is fact. So when we started film school, we were still a month out from no, the not release today. That's of impossible. May 4th, 2002. Oh, you're right. 18 years ago. Yes, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So we were a month out from the release of Attack of the Clones. We had Spider-Man 2 had just premiered that weekend to broken box office records. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Spider-Man 1. And... It was a world in which we didn't know what to expect from Attack of the Clones. We hoped that it would be good, but we didn't really know. And leaving Phantom Menace, I've rewatched Phantom Menace so many fucking times mm-hmm. on DVD in the run-up to the, sec- the, the Attack of the Clones in that three-year span or four-year span because I wanted to love it. I really just wanted to love this movie, and I grew to like parts of it, and I still like those parts, but I just cannot wrap my hands around this whole thing wholeheartedly and say, that's a good Star Wars movie. Although I did see the re-release in 2012 in 3D. That was the last time uh-huh. I saw this movie. And that was actually kind of fun, and I wish they would have gone back and done 2 and 3 uh, as well in 3D, but they stopped those those plans right out. I think it, the sale to Marvel was shortly thereafter, so uh, that was, was squash. But seeing it in 3D was, was kind of cool and uh, added a little something to it, but... It's a messy movie, right? It's clunky. It's messy. Um, yeah, it's but got serious flow problems. Yeah, it does. I mean, to say the least. Like I say, I just couldn't believe after the pod racing gets over that you have you're only you're actually less than halfway through. Um, you have dead space for a long time. It, it, that's mind-boggling to me because it feels like you've been watching this thing for an hour and a half, two hours. I, the movie feels like it's three, three and a half hours long. It really does. I mean, I hate to bring up what was in competition about it, but when this was out, I had just, like I said, just saw The Matrix, just saw The Mummy. There's a lot of things that had come out that summer before this to try to get a jump on things that it just, I mean, the Austin Powers 2, that were just fantastic. And so I expected such great things from this movie. And I don't know if I still hold that kind of uh, hype, naivety uh, to it because... I don't know. I just thought that I wanted so much more than this movie could could offer. And then mm-hmm. my expectations were so low for episode two. So it's just not fair. I mean, even to this day, I don't, don't think it's fair. I still didn't live up to it. We, at the I time, know. yeah. I can't I really wait to didn't. see episode two. That's really the, the movie that I am most interested out of this entire set to revisit just because um, I remember what I liked uh, and I remember what I, don't, I didn't like. And I, I can't wait to see that again and see how that plays out now. Especially, I just think it's really interesting to have seen all these movies, uh, except for the last one. So to know where these are going and to think about, 
Um, what is, and there really can't be a best or even an intended viewing order for these. There just can't be yeah. because this, uh, this ruins to, to watch episode one here ruined some surprises in four five and six, I thought, but if I watch four five and six and then I come back to this, I don't know that it causes other issues. Like there's no way you can watch. It, these are so no messy. Clean the whole thing's messy. The, yeah. There really isn't a clean timeline. And if I was to start a kid, I would start them on a new hope just because, uh, you know, episode four, just because that's where I started from. Hmm. And that's where you would develop the, the love of Luke Skywalker, which I think is what, uh, drives these movies. Cause ultimately it's their movies about families and father well, relationships and things like that, that. These prequels do feel ancillary to the other ones, right? These feel like, it just mm-hmm. feels like extra stuff. Like this is, a. um, you like Star Wars so much? Well, here's some, here's some, it's a little bit more Star Wars to you, but this isn't Star Wars. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's some extra. What's well, the prequels? This is what happened before actual Star Wars. You know, <laughs> that's what it feels like to me. And the last ones at least feel um, safe enough to be included as a real, but push off from the others. But I guess that's because they include the characters from four, five, and six, maybe. Well, the one thing I couldn't uh, come to grips with in this movie, and it still kind of strikes me as, as a little different, is how clean everything looked, as opposed to how run down and kind of lived in everything looked in 4, mm-hmm. 5, and 6. These are pristine. And I know it's a, an, an earlier oh, time. Of course it is. Um, I thought they were, but I mean, when they went to Tatooine, I literally was like, where I didn't know they lived in Whoville. It looks like a Dr. <laughs> Seuss fucking set. Well, even the, the machinery is so is glistening in this, and is, uh, more so, I believe, in part two. And I'm afraid to, you know, you're looking forward to going back and looking at, at two. I've tried to rewatch two over the years, mm-hmm. probably more times in the Phantom Menace, and I've never, if I'm being honest, I've never been able to get through it all the way. Only that one time in the theater. So I'm curious if I can get through mm-hmm. it all the way. And then uh, on top of that, part three, from what I recall, I saw that thing one time in the theater in May of 2005, I think with you yeah, and fucking loved it. And I'm so afraid to have ever gone back and looked at it again. <laughs> 15 years have passed because I don't want to not love it because it was the one yeah. where I was like, that was the one we needed. Uh, from what I recall, we just needed one of those, you know, we, maybe two at best, but three felt, uh, like you said, ancillary and just tacked on. And I don't want to say a cash grab because these were going to make money no matter what, but yeah, but I mean, even as you say, and, and exactly how uh, I felt, I remember discussing episode three afterwards as well, was that that was the movie that this whole thing was about. Like, you only really need to make the one movie. The other two were just extra. Like, I, we didn't I wonder need if them. they had just made that. If they had just come out with Revenge of the Sith, do you think that the... It, or if it you had expanded it that in some, in some better way, you know? I I just really feel like... Uh, because Revenge of the Sith is not so family-friendly. That's the thing that I don't understand about this, about Phantom Menace so much. And even Episode 2, really, it, it's not so family-friendly as this one. This one is, like, the odd one out. However, to support Lucas in his, I think his intended thought process was that the kids that see it young in 99, you know, six years have passed by the time Revenge of the Sith comes out in. So if you're 12, why would that matter? 11, though? 12, you're, you're, you're 17, so you're, you're growing, you're a teenager, well, you're, 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 
you're growing so up with the Star Wars films. So the kids wouldn't watch the other ones? Well, they would age <laughs> with the movie, I guess. I'm just saying uh, that, that I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't buy that. I don't think that's true at all. Um, especially not, and especially not the lesson that we've learned um, where, where we now make things for 30-year-olds, you know, because th- those are the people who will, will go back and see this old shit when you remake it. Yeah, instead you of know. acting like that they were the toxic fandom, they were actually catering to that uh, that fandom right now. Uh, especially with the current stuff like Ghostbusters and you know all sorts I just, of shit. I just feel like it was a misstep, I guess is what I'm saying. It gets corrected by the end of this trilogy, at least. It's an interesting thing that the the Millennium cashed out or ended with these, these movies coming at us and getting a, another Star Wars when we thought... But you go back as far as, as yeah. 1994, and the thought of another Star Wars was crazy. Now, that was over. In this, in this century, we've had <laughs> how many Star Wars? Pro- it's almost so because it's so commonplace that you're seeing Star Wars movies underperform, which is unfucking believable. I would have never thought in my my I mean, Star Wars is like American Pie, in the, or Apple Pie in this country. So it's it's unbelievable. Well, too much of a good Star thing, Wars I guess. Movie, yeah, too much of anything. It's it's <laughs> supply and demand in a lot of ways, and they've oversaturated. We can go on for two hours talking about that, but with the Phantom Menace and where it left audiences in '99, going into the new millennium and the century change, there, I just think that it, it became old hat in a lot of ways. It, it, it didn't nearly have the cool factor that something like the Matrix had, or even the Mummy, like I was saying. So that by the time the second one came out. And you had Spider-Man already in theaters, which was uber fucking cool, and Marvel and superhero mm-hmm. rebirth. Star Wars just didn't seem that fucking interesting anymore, or that that revolutionary, or that innovative in a lot of ways. Even though this movie has a lot of technical innovations, story-wise, it was just so dull. Yeah, special effects caught up, you know. I mean, this was certainly cutting edge at the time for a, a lot of reasons, as we say, shot on digital um I don't know. I, I do think you're right. Some of the some stuff was shot on 35. This movie might have been shot on 35. It might have been episode two that was shot I all think digital. Episode two is entirely digital. Yeah. Um, by then you're you're a lot more advanced. Yeah, I'm, I can't really remember, but but yeah, it certainly was cutting edge, and um, that was kind of the point, uh, as George Lucas has said a little bit, that was to do this and was to spur on digital cinema and a lot of other things. So. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, I don't know from what uh, has been updated in this, but as you said, this looks really clean. You're right. The other thing that looks really clean are all the CGI characters in this, which look really fucking good and kind of surprisingly so, maybe. Does that surprise you at all to so see too. them? No, I was wondering if that had been retouched up or if they had just been done so well yeah, in Yeah, because these 99. don't look like, uh, you know, remember when we were first introduced to CGI Job of the Hutt or any of that kind of shit or any of the, the CGI uh, touch-ups of the originals, uh, which did not look that great. Uh, but right. for whatever reason, um, these the characters in this, specifically even Jar Jar Binks, Oh, Jesus. Uh, look really fucking good. And I don't remember them looking yeah, I thought that the good. underwater characters, especially them as well. Uh, you know, the, the Gungans. The pod, all the pod racing characters. Everyone looks, uh, looks really good. I just don't remember them looking that good, I guess. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they were touched up for that Blu-ray release. And then once again, 
um, even more so for this Disney Plus release. I mean, people are finding there's like Reddit subgroups oh, that are God. finding all sorts of uh, Disney Plus redos and stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I hear that right. Splash uh, they, they covered Daryl Hannah's ass, her butt crack yeah, on right. Disney Plus. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's all sorts of weird shit going on, but it's their library. They can do with what they want now. Exactly. And, they uh, removed Qui-Gon Jinn's bulge, which is the fact that it's this readily available is nice, though, right? That it's it's this is I mean these are movies that oh, yeah. are high American def as well. classics I mean, I've been in a lot of ways. To buy yeah. these on Blu-ray for uh, forever, so it's great to have uh, Disney Plus and just have all this, all the Star Wars stuff right there in high def. You can just watch them. It's fantastic. And it, I think Disney did. Uh, you know, they're clearly losing a lot of money by having their parks closed during this quarantine. But I think they've done a couple solids during this, and I gotta give a shout out to them for releasing. Uh, Frozen 2 early, putting Onward on their service very quickly. And once again, doing good. that on May 4th. Uh, but, I mean, they're putting product that they're they're leaving a lot of money on the table by not having Blu-ray sales or things like that or, or you know, on-demand sales. Yeah, I don't think those, I don't think those Blu-ray Rise sales, well, May Frozen 2 would be a different story. But I don't think Onward was looking, probably wouldn't have been that high of a sale. Onward, having seen it, I mean, we did a review on a previous show, but that was... Uh, should have been a Disney yeah. premiere. Oh, I mean, you know? Frozen Two sells. I think no matter what. Yeah, um, that, that, but once again, but they're yeah. playing their cards right, and they're uh, they're doing a lot of things right. As they for should really. I mean, we should. Customer. If you're going to release things in theater, and you're going to have Disney Plus, and people are going to pay that uh, money per month, those movies should trickle out to Disney Plus at some point, right? A little quicker as well. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, we're we're I months like- out from the Star Wars stuff, so I think th- that window is probably about right. Um, but as you say, I mean, the onward and frozen two window was, is a lot closer. Yeah, it was, it was very quick or smaller. It was very quick. Well, that's going to wrap up our show for this evening. Join us tomorrow for another show where we would discuss star Wars episode two, attack of the clones, the 2002 follow up. Um, and I'm not looking forward to revisiting that as much as you are. You sound pretty stoked to, to see that. And uh, I'm telling you, man, when they get to that, arena that movie stops it just from what i recall but hopefully it doesn't and uh i'm gonna get try to get through it all for you (laughs) speaking for trevor anderson i am jason rugard and we are the movie mavericks oh my another magnificent episode has come to an end If you're craving more, set your destination to moviemavericks.com, warp 9. Engage!